0: good stuff i mean this is like the week of all weeks and of course people choose to be absent tonight for tonight's topic i mean it is uh it's it's a heavy hitter and it's one that we all struggle with look if 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 you don't think that tonight is for you uh tonight's for you (laughs) it is just it's just one of those things uh how many know it's just it's a struggle How many struggle with being selfish? Can we just be honest and transparent tonight? Um, So, but I I just wanted to um, bring this topic up and really discuss it in this context. And, you know, it was one of, it it was out of the gate quick. When we were talking about marriage trolls and things that plague marriages, this is one of the first ones we wrote down, don't you think? Yeah. Um, Any thoughts on selfishness? (laughs) Well,
1: I think I thoughts are all in here. Yeah, they are.
0: Well, the funny thing is, is typically when we talk about it, uh, this is, this night is for me. Sarah should be doing most of the talking tonight, uh, because this is definitely something that, uh, you know, I've struggled with through the years and it's a lot of it can be, um, I should say it this way. A lot of it, what we see, what we think is selfishness is exacerbated in certain personality groups more than others. And what we're going to do tonight is show you that it doesn't matter. It, and and often it's those that think that they're not selfish; they're actually really selfish. And and I don't I'm not trying to be, you know, nitpicky or, uh, <laughs> or, or hurt your feelings. Um, but we're going to see it from two different perspectives tonight. Uh, and it's an it's important. It's an important perspective. Um, And I think that you'll see it through the text. And once again, there's a book cited. Um, I think it is on the back. Uh, Yeah, modified from the meaning of marriage. So this, uh, some of these truths have been kind of restated, retooled, and we gave you some questions this week. Um, but this is the book that we cited for week number one uh, and this is just another portion another excerpt if you will from that book and and honestly like how good is that book
1: Yeah, it's it's such a good book it's I don't think every sentence is so well thought out Uh, it's just there's no waste of time in any portion of the book
0: yeah Yeah. not one I mean there's no no fluff No. no bloat uh, it's just a very, very good book. So do yourself a favor, get a copy of it. We own physical copy, Audible, um, and, you know, I listened to it, I remembered, it's in my Audible library and had listened to it a while back, and I'm just kind of walking through it again. It's just such a good resource, such a great book. Um, so anyway, let's jump in tonight, and um, honestly, if you have any questions along the way, uh, feel free to to stop. Is there any? Any questions from last week? And remember, we're going to have some time at the end of the series, but anything that you're sitting on that um, maybe you did your homework and that brought out some stuff. Anybody, anything, questions, thoughts, concerns before we jump in? You guys are pros. Everybody else is the ones who, you know, that are struggling. They didn't come tonight, so you guys got this on lockdown. Let's jump in. So selfishness, all the things that seek to undermine the intended oneness that the Lord has in mind. So this relationship troll is a big one. Let's look at the first uh, set of scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, and is not arrogant. And many of you wives turn to your husbands and say, Really? That's not the kind of love we have. (laughs) Um, But that is uh, Paul describing love. Verse number 5 it's not rude, it's not, what are the next two words? Self what? Seeking. It's not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Does everybody see that? So we're really focusing there, is not rude, is not self-seeking. And all of these things go together, you can see uh, pride, that troll is there, and we've talked about that, but um, really kind of landing there on that self-seeking aspect. So the troll of selfishness, here's another way of saying it, or self-centeredness is an ace in the hole for the enemy. How many know that to be true? If the enemy can, can utilize or leverage selfishness or self-centeredness, he's winning. I mean, he has, he's got this thing on lockdown. And I think that we um, oh yeah, is it recording, Kyle? Yeah. I'm going to like All right, awesome. <laughs> um, it, if you think about it, it's it comes in different forms, and it comes and it looks differently depending on on the context. But look, if he can utilize it, my point is, is he's gonna use it? Would you agree? What do you think? Yeah,
1: well, I think it's you know I think this is later in here, but um, you know it's it is part of us, right? We're born. We have a baby, and he's actually a very sweet baby, but he's still selfish. You know, he's still worried about himself, and we see that in kids. And it's just, it's something that we, I think, have a tendency to accept that is just part of who we are because we are, we all do have an element of it, but it's also in conflict with who we are to be in Christ.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the world's answer when you come in conflict is to take care of yourself or to love yourself more. And my question to you tonight is Is that the best course of action? Is that the best course of action? Some of you, you're going to be confronted with some theology tonight, and we want that to be the case. Um, here's the thing marriage and relationships are mirrors. Does everybody have, have if you haven't realized this yet, you, I mean, you're going to come to this realization. A relationship is a mirror. If you think you've got your relationship with the Lord on lockdown, and you're single, just wait until you're married. <laughs> Why? Because that really reveals it's another layer to uh, is this thing really real it's it's put to the test really when you think about it. so when you consider the world's answer and and look no further than you know the sitcoms or you know, the, the, the Netflix series that you're watching and how they do relationships or how it's portrayed in the world, right? Um, what is their answer for when you're done wrong or when things aren't working out? What do you hear constantly? Look at your social media. Like, how, what's the percentage, what would you say, of posts that have to do with conflict and relationships that turn to, you just need to take care of yourself and you just need to learn to love yourself more? I mean, what do you think about that? <laughs> I um.
1: Well, I think one thing to like put out there is I think that a lot of those people with those intentions, I think uh, there's always like the extreme, right? So we, I yeah. think that's addressed in here that there could be. We're not talking about somebody who's physically abused or sexually abused. That right. would not be the context here, right? Because that's like a, a, an extreme biblical sin that would never be okay. So I right. think sometimes people pull from saying you should release a toxic relationship, if your husband's abusing you, yes, you should release yeah. that toxic toxic relationship. If it's just that he's not doing all the things you think he should do, that's not the same. Right. That's not the same thing. And I think that that's something to keep in mind through this whole topic is yeah. that we're not, that would just be a separate thing and that we're not talking about that. And I think people who are talking about that, other people pull it, and sort of tailor it for yeah. their own personal things that don't necessarily fall underneath that same context. Right. And pull it in and, and you know, twist and modify things to their own, to you know, further their own ideas for or sure. their own thoughts of, of the validation. They're looking for validation, you yeah. know, and it, and it comes through that.
0: I think what we could include in this would be um, things from your upbringing, right, that are part of your childhood, part of who you are, um, that have become a part of you that you've carried into your relationship, and so maybe what we would say that would be included isn't necessarily physical physical abuse, but could be some verbal, some -hmm. things in there of people talking to you or acting a certain way that is, it's not right, right, but it's not, it's not a reason to end the marriage you know it's not physical or uh, sexual abuse so there is, there is a line and i think that it's important for us to put that out there yep. and say that there is a line that we would say yeah you need to get out of that relationship um, you need
1: to care for yourself in right. that situation but yep that's not what we're talking about this is not I what just we're just talking want to about clarify that. the
0: context of what we're saying when people run to you need to care for yourself and you need to learn to love yourself that language is many a times used Around things that, uh, biblically speaking, the Bible doesn't define you that way. The Bible doesn't tell you that that's what you need to do for yourself and to yourself. And so, um, once again, a lot of these ideas that we have that contribute negatively to our relationships are a misunderstanding of Scripture. They're a misunderstanding of who we are and who we were were created to be. So, uh, we just want to give some direction on that. Um, for all of those posts that are out there saying that you deserve something, that you're better than that. I mean, am I the only one that sees these posts? Or do you guys know what I'm talking about? When I'm addressing this self-care ideology, right? Um, There's a context for that. And it's not when you are having trouble with your spouse or with your boyfriend, girlfriend, or in your relationship when you're trying to work things out. This is what we do, and I I mean it, like, what happens is when conflict happens, what happens is you, you, if you take the world's advice, you retreat to yourself. You think, I have to fix this, I have to protect me. What part of that is unity and oneness? What part of that is a part of a whole rather than separation? Do you understand where we're, where we're getting to with this? And we talked about this last week, only by pride comes contention. So when there's a problem, when there's an issue, uh, how are you going to fix it? How are you going to deal with this? Well, I have to retreat and fix me. I have to focus on me. We're identifying that tonight as being self-centered and selfish. Um, So let's build a biblical case for this. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Uh, and a lot of this should be review for most of you because you've been walking through the Roman study with us. But as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. <laughs> I was like fumbling because it's CSV. <laughs> verse 11: There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. <laughs> do these scriptures speak for themselves? Yes or no? They do. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The same Paul who penned about, uh, I think I should read the next one, right? Uh, No, 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 not yet. So think about those uh, three verses there, and, and we begin to see that we are born sinners. Verse 12 of the next passage of scripture that we're going to talk about on Sunday morning is Romans chapter five verse 12 it says, "Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned." Our point in tonight in kind of building this case is that nobody's good. Nobody deserves anything. And if we start from a, a place or a context of what we actually deserve, then we're confronted with our own actions when we retreat to ourselves for ourselves. Does that make sense? A higher view of self, of who we actually are, has led to incredible self-centeredness in our society. That little junior that you tell is awesome actually turns out he believes it turns out you tell your kid how amazing they are, often enough, I mean, Adolf Hitler said, if you tell a lie loud enough, often enough, people will what? They'll believe it. And unfortunately, we've believed the lie that we're actually good people, when scripture clearly states that our righteousness is as filthy rags, according to the book of Isaiah. It's a misconception that we need to retreat and love on ourselves because we're our best person. And you need to be the best version of yourself. Who are we apart from Jesus? We're what? Nobody. So we've got to stop the, the peppering in of this like humanistic philosophy into our marriage relationships because it's a troll. And that self-centeredness has to start somewhere. It starts with entitlement. And we think that we're, you know what I mean? We think that we're something. When scripture tells us that we're nothing, Even Paul says, look, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And that dude, he was not the chiefest of sinners. (laughs) You know what I mean? I know he felt that way, but nobody is good. If we start with a false premise that you're a good person and you deserve good things in your marriage relationship, guess what you're going to be? Self-centered. Man, it's quiet. Just spilled it on my my K-Sig (laughs) T-shirt. My lemonade. I think we need to sit in that a minute. If you're resistant to this idea, I understand. Kind of. I kind of get it. But like church, we need to be honest and upfront with what we actually are. We're sinners. And if it means we've missed the mark, when you retreat to the part of you that missed the mark, when you retreat to yourself, and in your flesh, scripture says, dwelleth no good thing, then what good comes of you retreating and treating yourself? When if we know and understand that we're all sinners from the beginning, we're setting ourselves up to be selfish and have a self-centered relationship. It's a slippery slope. Does anybody see that? Okay, all right. What do you say, we just keep, kind of just keep moving? (laughs) Yeah, does anybody have a question about that? With Sheila. So, where is it? Say, say it a little louder and, and expound on your question a little bit more. So I think that, you know, there's, there's a level of exhorting one another. And I think some people have that gift, um, you know, the gift of encouragement, the gift of mercy, you know, like I typically would be someone that would have a, you know, someone would say to him, Oh, you know, he, he, someone would say about me that I encourage people and that I tell people that they're awesome or incredible or whatever. But if I define that theology, what I'm really saying is Jesus is really good in you. (laughs) What I'm really saying is your capacity in in the church of God, in Christ, is extraordinary. You know, and so there's context behind that. Um, and I understand not everybody understands that or the perspective that I'm going to come from. But if I'm discipling someone, my first step in salvation, in discipling them, is telling them that they don't have anything good in them to earn heaven, right? So when someone comes along and they understand what God's grace is, it means that they have accepted what they do not deserve. So therefore, you've given someone a context to receive a compliment. Well, what is that? Philippians 1.6, I'm confident that he which hath begun a good work in me, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the context is, man, the Lord is really using you. I love to see what God is doing in your life. Right, so that's the framework that I would use to encourage people, because I believe in the fact that we're totally depraved. Um, so that's, that's kind of does that make sense or no? That, no 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 please. And I and I'm, I'm look I think this discussion look we have to have these discussions. It's it's vitally important because if not, we're gonna we're gonna find ourselves in a trap. absolutely
1: i think that something that comes to mind for me is like sort of the you know we've made a transition at some point to kind of handing out like participation trophies you know and there or having a kids soccer game where there's no winner there's just they just play you know and then it's like everybody's a winner and obviously for 2 year olds i guess that's fine cuz they don't really get it anyway they're just kind of running around but at some point they have to have to learn that you know you, your team didn't hit the mark. Or, you know, my kids all play piano. They have to show up sometimes at piano lessons and their teacher has to say, I can tell you didn't practice this week. Rather than just saying, oh, you're amazing. I can see that you kind of tried on that one song. You know, they're not going to grow if somebody just tells them kind of, you're so cute and you kind of played that right and I'm you're amazing. Th- that's not what they need then, right? Like they need to be told hey, you know, you need to step it up. I can tell that this wasn't quite right, and I think you can do better. And then I think, of course, yes, they want to hear when they come back, I can tell you did practice that song. And I think that, of course, there's encouragement and exhortation that is, there's a time and a place for it. But I I think that where a lot of people are coming in with it is when it's not the time and place, and and that is that sort of participation. You know, you played the piano, good job. I don't, I don't want that for them. I don't want a pat on the back when they don't deserve it. You know, I want them to, to have Sir the, pat wants on the, back. the
0: nun with the ruler. Yeah, sitting no. <laughs> beside the piano. That's it. no, but I
1: think, I think that's more of what it is. And I, you know, going yeah. back to social media, you know, I'll see posts that say like, it, it'll say something like, just so you know, you're doing a good job. And it'll be like from, you know, some like mom page that I follow. And I'm like, you don't know if I'm doing a good job. Some mom could be reading this that is neglecting their child. They don't need to be told they're doing a good job. You know, this that should be coming from somebody who actually knows me and can exhort me. If Kayla comes to me and says, hey, I saw how you handled that with your kid, and, like, I just want to say, good job. Like, you held it together, and you were patient. I would That would mean a lot to me, and that would be a sister in Christ encouraging me in how God is working through me because – Patience is something that I can't manufacture on my own. So if I, you know, am able to give that, then that means that that grace is flowing through me from the Holy Spirit. And so I think that that's a context that's good, but a post that says I'm being a good mom, when that I could have had a day where I was losing my temper and impatient, and I don't need to read that that day. I don't need somebody who doesn't know me to tell me that. You know, and I don't accept it, but some people do, and they just yeah. go, "Oh, yeah, I am doing my best i I am trying my best, and it's like,, uh, you're probably kind of missing the mark if you if you're not taking care of your kids and you're losing your temper all day, you know, right. so I think that there's there's just that that difference in, yes, exhortation and encouragement I think is totally needed, and I just think that it's not being used and placed always the correct way in yeah. our society
0: yeah and and this is kind of like. You know, we're trying to give a framework for, um, for for what good looks like according to the scriptures. And so, um, look, marriages large in part are failing. Does everybody see that? It, I mean, is it just us? Right? Like, no. Like, we we see that marriages are not doing well. Um, and in 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 this chapter, he talked about. Um, you know, just a, a study that this fellow had done interviewing divorced couples, and large in part, the issue with divorced couples is self-centeredness and selfishness, right? Um, and so, um, look, and, and it, it is what it is. Like, we, we see it and experience it all the time. You know, we're in our positions, um, we're constantly trying to give people um, a good, lens or a filter or a context to serve the lord and do it in in the right heart and in the right framework i mean i preach about that a lot you know is this something that you're doing for your own benefit or is this something that you're allowing god to do and work through you um and so this is there's an end to this right if you are encouraging someone um, and you are exhorting them and they receive that compliment and they take it to heart and feel that it's them, the end result of that could be damaging. It could be something that they receive, and if they're not understanding the power in which they're doing those good things in, um, then they're going to receive, here's the thing, they're going to receive validation from that, right? And what happens when that's gone? If we only have the words of man at the end of the day, to get us along, to get us out of bed, then what happens when you fall into a hard time? And that's that's what this is really addressing. Right? If you're able to find support outside of yourself, which is from the Lord, then you're never gonna be let down. If we serve man, we will be what? Disappointed. Right? And so I think that it's what we're dealing with is the extreme end, Mishila, that's like, hey, look, if this is what, if this is what's doing it for you, watch out, you know, there's trouble coming, um, and so what we're not saying is that you shouldn't encourage people, you know, absolutely, you should encourage people, and you should uh, use words of affirmation to build people up, but what are we building them up in? The <laughs> God's word, the spirit of God, you know, we're building them up in those right contexts. Anybody, any other thoughts around this? Um, we're We're working our way through it, but, and I know it's heavy, this is, this is not like, you know, it's not easy. What we're, nobody wants to be told that they're not good at all. And, and honestly, like when I look back, some folks that we've struggled with in ministry over the last six years are people that thought they were good. And you know who I'm... <laughs> they're people that think that they're a good person are the people that we really struggle with in ministry. They are people that when you give them constructive feedback, constructive criticism, they take it personally because they actually think they're a good person. And when, when um, in a marriage with, with a husband and wife, and one of them thinks they're actually a good person, and the spouse says to them, hey, um, we should probably like, change in this area. What happens? They take it what? Personally. And it's not, a, it's not a team. It's not a union thing. It's not this is the direction God's leading us. It's a personal attack because that's who I am and that's how I do it. That's self-centeredness, that's selfishness, right? And so we, we can pinpoint most of the issues like in ministry that we've had with folks that, I mean, we, we can see it from a mile away when someone is serving because it makes them feel good. Like you, you, we can identify, we've been in ministry a long time and we've not only been in ministry like vocational ministry, like we've been serving in the church since I was nine months before I was born. You know what I mean? Like I've been in church my whole entire life. And so I see it. I see those people that are serving because it makes them feel good and they don't last long. And they're always the ones that get the most upset. So we want to posture and set up our relationship in such a way that things are in order biblically so that they do last. So that they, you know, a wise man builds his house upon the what? The rock. You know, there's a, a foundation of sand that many marriages are being built upon. Uh, And that's what we're trying to prevent. So the same Paul who penned about love and being self-seeking. Look at verse number five up there in 1 Corinthians. The the very first verse, 1 Corinthians 13, is not rude, is not self-what? Seeking. Look at Philippians chapter two, verse three through five. Same author, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Can anybody help me define the word nothing? Does anybody know what nothing is? It's nothing. (laughs) You know what nothing is in the Greek? It's nothing. It it means nada, right? Nothing. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. How many of us can honestly look at our marriages and our relationship and say that we do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit? (laughs) That's tough, isn't it? The bar is pretty high, but... It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? Humility. Consider others. Don't miss that part. Consider others more important than who? Yourselves. If you see it, there's a truth there. There's a truth there. It's a principle that if you unlock in your marriage relationship, you will have a successful marriage. It says, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Look at verse number four. Everyone should, should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And I think the King James says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Famous verse. Do we often read the verse that happens before it? Where, where it says, look, don't do anything, right? Out of conceit or selfish ambition. Listen to this. We were made in God's image, God's literal makeup. Let your mind wrap around this for a minute. God's literal makeup of existing as a triune being and deferring to each other as an example to us that we will never be helping, uh, (laughs) we will never, I, I think I worded that really weird, so it's a typo, okay? Let me, just say the, let me just say the line. God's physical triune being. How many know that we, we serve a triune God? God the what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When Jesus was ministering, he said, I work, and my Father worketh hitherto. I must be about my what? My Father's business. In the creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the what? Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Every time you see God working, he's deferring to himself. The son would not take credit. He he would say, I'm working through the power of the Holy Spirit under the direction of, of who? The Father. Even God in his union. If Jesus himself doesn't say, I'm the end all be all, who are we? If we are created in God's image, and Paul is saying, do not be self-serving. Don't have self-ambition within your relationship. Serve one another in humility. Why is Paul saying that? Because we're created in God's image, and God in and of himself exists, watch this, to please himself, his other counterparts. God is a community. The biggest truth about the Trinity that I love is that God in and of himself is a community. And in that community he serves himself. Not not like himself, but they serve each other. So even in himself, he gives the example of being what? Selfless. Not my will but what? Thine be done. Every time, every turn that you see the Lord working, he's deferring to himself. And so the community of God is a mystery to us. But what has been revealed is that it's a pattern for us to live in our community as we defer to one another. And people like Paul, who understood the concept way more than I do, writes to us and say, listen, don't do anything out of self-ambition. But do it in humility. Why? It's the mind of Christ to serve each other. Let me ask you this: If you're always serving each other, is there room for selfishness? If you're serving each other, is there room for self-centeredness? Yes or no? Do you see where we're going with this? The theology of who God is and who we who we were created to image doesn't allow us to be self-centered. But it all starts with thinking that we're something. As soon as, look, let a man take heed. If he, if he thinks he stand, lest he what? Fall. It's so simple, but we do it. And it all starts with that little thing of pride. Last week's lesson, building up to this week, where we think we're, we think we deserve something. Let me explain something to you. You don't deserve anything good. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above sent down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness. The root of this self-centeredness is we think we deserve something better. The only thing we deserve is a devil's hell. Okay, all right. (laughs) It's rough, I I know. But if we start with the worst of the worst, then we can only improve on this, Ed. You feel me? (laughs) We were made in God's image. And the rest of that, I think I was a little tipsy writing it because I don't know what it means. No, I'm kidding. Let's go to the next verse. I wasn't drink. I wasn't drinking this afternoon, was I? Be, come on, please, help me out here. <laughs> I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> I was typing like this, not looking at my computer, thinking about it. It made sense in my head. Anyway, look at the next text, Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Uh, no, we already read that. I literally, oh, that's what it did. It, it duplicated it. Yeah. I'm sorry, y'all. The typo, and then I hit print. Yeah, let's go to Matthew 25. I was—I bet my notes, though, say something different. Yeah, maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. I'm going to go to my notes on here, just in case. Yeah. I'm going to go to it after I open it up on here. Sorry, y'all. Here we go. Yeah, let's look at the next one. It is. It's Matthew sixteen twenty-five. Okay, everything else should be... Everything else should be good, but I'm going to read it from here. Look at the next verse, Matthew 16:25. For whoever wants to save his life will what? Let's see where we're going with this. But whoever loses his life because of me will what? Will find it. Look, we're building a case here. We're, we're building a case scripturally to help you fight selfishness and self-centeredness to help you confront this area. And, and I'm, look, it would be a good, helpful exercise for you to write down the last five fights. Men, ask your wives to do it because you probably won't remember, right? But if you just say, hey, hun, what were the last five fights that we had? Let's write them down and work through them. I guarantee you what you're gonna find is that there's a root of selfishness and self-centeredness in those fights. Does that make sense? And so in order to combat those things, like you have to have a good, healthy theology to see the right perspective. And so looking at Matthew, it says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Selfishness equals selfishness. Selfishness equals selfishness. Servitude equals servitude. Did I say that
1: I think it was supposed to be breeds. Yeah, it's okay though. Yeah, it's just that selfishness. Yeah. And uh, talking on the the point of of fights, I'm I think the that there. Yeah, I think that um, you know, if you were to do that, were to say, okay, let's talk about the last five fights that we've had, or two or three, whatever. Um, you would probably find that there's selfishness on both sides if you were honest about it. Um, maybe one person was more in the wrong yeah. with with something, but more than likely, both persons, uh, both people would say that there, there would be some pride, there would be some yeah. selfishness um, rooted in that. And, you know, that equals is fine too, I guess. But yeah. I think we talked about using the word breeds, like breeds yeah. that, you know, when one person is selfish, it often just breeds selfishness in the other person. It's not like... It's not like you can be selfish and then I'm just going to be over here never being selfish. More than likely, it's also going to push me into that same, you know, vicious cycle. Just it's going to look different. And that's kind of what we have in this next um, section here, that this is true for the introvert and the extrovert. There is self-centeredness in feelings and in actions. And... Um, This was something interesting. If you, you know, want to read the book, you'll learn more about this. But I think that sometimes a lot of us have a specific view of what selfishness looks like. And it's like the person who takes the last piece of pizza, the person who always wants to sit shotgun, you know, like whatever. It's that person who's like always kind of fighting for the front of whatever it is. And we tend to label that person like they are selfish, like that's a selfish person. They're always worried about themselves. Um, But it looks different honestly for different people and I think you touched on that a little bit that selfishness for me might not be cutting to the front of the line or it might not be always being the person to pick where we go to eat or something like that but it can look very different and it can still um, surface and come out in our, our relationship because it's still me saying hey this is what I want and I may not demand it the same way that you demand it but At the end of the day, there are still going to be times where I am saying, this is how I want this to go. This is how I want this to be. And then when you don't also come and then do those things that way, then I get upset, right? That's somewhat of my selfishness. That's both of our selfishness there, like colliding together. And it's just breeding more of it, right? It's just making me upset that you're not, you know, so it's like, it just builds more and more selfishness. Yeah,
0: it's so true. So it's like... There we we wrote it down. It's feelings and inactions, and so it, it might take some work and and just a, a process of thought to see if you don't consider yourself a, a selfish or self centered person. It's probably because most of your your self centeredness or selfishness. And I guess tonight is more about that, right? Defining those things for who we are. Like it's it's up to us to look in our own hearts. Like this. This is not. If you if you think about tonight as my spouse needs X, Y, and Z, right? You're totally missing the point of this uh, of of this lesson tonight, and you're very self centered. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But if it, but seriously, but if you look at the the thing, it's is self centered in what feelings and in actions. So the goal here is to get you to feel. Uh, to, not to feel, is to get you to realize where that selfishness is in your own heart. Is it more of a feeling? So, like, if we were to, like, talk about this in our relationship, it would be feelings for her. It would be actions on my part. She, Her her beef with me on a lot of my self-centeredness are stupid things that I do, right? Because I'm not thinking about her. But she, in her part, feels a certain kind of way based on how she wants me to act and so if she doesn't identify that and i'm not saying this to her she said this earlier right <laughs> but but if she wants to make this better it's not in telling me to change my actions it's changing her feelings because in this when she changes her feelings she's going to change the outcome of the things i do because i'm going to perceive a shift in the atmosphere. Why why is this so vitally important? This is the abundance principle. It's so vitally important to the, the culture and the change in your marriage relationship. Paul says, do not seek your own. That's not what love does. But here's what we do when we have problems and challenges. You're selfish. You did this. You bought this. You want this. How are you feeling, though? You're feeling that they shouldn't do that. Why are you feeling that? Because you're being self-centered. You feel that they should do different things. You feel like you should receive X, Y, and Z. So the point in this exercise is for you to identify your self-centeredness in your feelings if you're the introvert in that. And if you work on you by, watch this, serving them. By serving them, you will produce in them whosoever loses his life, here's the end result. And this is where the gospel, this is the gospel, this is the good news of God in your marriage. What did Jesus do? In that whole passage of Philippians, he humbled himself. He became the servant. Servitude equals, or what was the other word? Breeds, servitude breeds servitude. If you're looking for a change in your partner that you think is selfish, serve them. Because that is what will breed or or sow into your marriage relationship a spirit of servitude, watch, that the Lord uses. But if you're selfish and you say, I deserve this, it's predicated on a false premise that you deserve something, and the Spirit of God is not going to work in that. Do you understand? Do you understand what we're saying? If, if, if Christians, and I mean it, Christian couples would get this Understand? I wouldn't expect a lost person to get to do this. I wouldn't. Even though this would work in a lost person's relationship. It's the upside down nature of the gospel. You get your needs by, get, you, you accomplish that by meeting their needs. If you sow servitude or serving them or minimizing what you think you need, I'm telling you, based on scriptural principle, you will radically change your marriage. It's just a given principle. It's, a, it's, it's, it's something that is true to people who serve others. They're actually the happiest of people.
1: I was going to say, too, that I think that part of that is you really need to be honest with yourself about if you are going to serve your spouse... Um, you need to serve them in a way that they want to be served and that mm-hmm. is meaningful to them because that's another layer of selfishness, right? So if you, you know... That's, that's so true. We have a joke in our house about, like, <laughs> when Matt buys guns for me, he buys me guns all the time. And I don't I don't shoot guns unless we go to the range, unless he takes me physically, which takes me never. to the range, which <laughs> is rarely. But there's always this joke, that, like, I bought you this gun for the house, and it's yeah. like... I'm not really receiving that as this selfless gift of love from him because I don't even, it's not something that I'm interested in, right? So you shouldn't, you know, trick yourself into truly, I mean, it's a joke for us, but yeah. if you truly thought, I'm gonna do something nice for Sarah, I'm gonna buy her a gun, it, that's not gonna, that's only gonna probably irritate yeah. me more and show me that you're really being selfish in this because not only do you want the gun and then you're pretending that you're giving it to me as a gift, you know? <laughs> So I think it's important to think when you're going to intentionally serve somebody that you love, that you really need to think about how, how do they want to be served
0: and not what's important to To you
1: because you can still make it about you when you do that, you know, and even to say like, Oh, I think Matt would really like this thing or he would look good in this thing. So I'm going to buy it for him. That's still self-serving, right? Like you have to think, does
0: everybody see that? What's she saying?
1: Does that make sense? Like you, you need to think about how, what would they like? And you have to truly, you know, I think for sometimes we've been married a long time. I mean, relatively almost 13 years. So, and we've been together for two years before that. So we've been together for 15 years and through the years that has changed. It's not always looked exactly the same. Before we had kids, Matt doing the dishes for me, um, I wouldn't have really cared. I would have been like, okay, thanks. I would have done it later, but Whatever. But now, if I come downstairs and I didn't have time to do the dishes the night before and the kitchen's clean, I'm like, oh, that was, thank you. Like, that meant a lot to me. And so things evolve and change over time. And that is you serving me because you don't enjoy doing dishes. You know, it's not something that you would do. And it's not something that he would even notice to do on his own. Like, if he noticed and did it, it's because he specifically wanted to do it for me. And it, it means a lot more to me because... I know that it's, it's, it, that means more to me than all the guns that you've purchased for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: It, and, and this is like, it, if I could give like even a little, like even a little extra piece on this, do something for them that you actually don't want them to do or have. Go that far, go out of your way for them to even know, like, you didn't want me to do that, but you did it for me. That's not, that's the definition of love as it pertains to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's not self-serving. The problem is, is we're so spoiled, we can't bring ourselves to even think about doing something for someone else that doesn't in some way, shape, or form benefit ourselves. Man, it's quiet. You either think I'm completely off my rocker or you completely disagree with me. And I'm, prop. both are okay. <laughs> both are true. But understand this is what you signed up for when you signed up for union and marriage. You signed up for oneness when you don't desire and want the same thing. That's called sacrificial love. Let me read the next scripture. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians five, fifteen says, And he died for all, so that those who live shall no longer live for who? themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Church, the very essence of the conversation that we're having is the fact that we are beneficiaries of the scriptures that that literally these men died to give us. Paul literally died a martyr's death to give us the church that we experience. We are benefiting today today, spiritually speaking, because of the sacrifice of others, and when you get into your marriage relationships, we think the buck stops with us. We think that we have and must, we must be happy. We must be fulfilled in every moment, right? But that is not how God created us to live, and so I'm challenging that. And I'm I'm challenging and I'm pushing back against the world saying, you're only happy if you have enough money, you're only happy in your relationship if you have the amount of kids that you uh, want to have and the right job. And look, none of that is what breeds happiness. Serving people brings happiness.
1: And I think that a lot of times, I was thinking this with a lot of these scriptures, we Sometimes it's easier to serve and to do for people that you don't know. It's easier to be patient with. I like those shoes. Thank you. I got, a tar- I got them at Target. I got them at Target. Target. <laughs> yeah. She went to Target. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. The kids got stuffed animals, and, yeah, I and, I and got she got shoes. Neat. But um, <laughs> it's easy sometimes to do things like be kind and patient or serve. Uh, people who we don't know. You know, there's a lot of people who would get on board if we said, hey, we're going to do a community thing and we're going to, you know, buy jackets or, you know, every all these different things that we've done. People jump on board because they want to Preach. serve Preach. the community. Rip. I know. But, <laughs> but I think that we have to bring it down very small to our marriage and our family, our children, our aunts and uncles, parents. Those are the people that also need that kindness and that patience and that grace. And, you know, this scripture talking about not living for yourself, like you can apply that in your marriage. It's easier to even apply to your children. For some reason, it's very hard sometimes to give grace and to serve in your marriage. It's easier to serve our kids. It's easier to serve kids or people we do not know, you know, and again, Matt said, we grew up in church. We've both, you know, been in church literally our entire lives and not just attended. We both were um, parts of families that that we served, like we grew up in our church buildings, like, you know, almost like staff kids, but we weren't, but like we were there all the time. And, um, you know, people tend to even serve the pastor or their ministry leaders, just, they will do anything. They will drop anything. If, if they said they needed help with something, they're there. But their husband or wife says, I need this thing. And it's met with unkindness and impatience and frustration when, you know, when it's that person that really should be the most important uh, relationship in their life. And it's the one that they're most um, apt to just toss aside and say, I, you know, why would you even ask me to do that? you know, but anybody else can ask them and it's, oh yeah, sure. I would love to, I love to serve and I love to give. And, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's got to be brought down to just this, this much smaller scale of just your family and just your husband yeah. or wife. I'm saying husband. Cause
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. I I get it. Yeah. You like that? <laughs> They're new. They're new.
1: It could be also, why did you spend money on new shoes? No, <laughs> no, not at all.
0: <laughs> I, I think too, like we, the gospel we think is just for a new convert, right? We give the gospel. Let me tell you how good Jesus is for somebody who's brand new off the street that we're trying to introduce to Jesus. The gospel, Romans 116, it's the power of God for your marriage. What Jesus did for you is is how you can love each other daily. If if you don't have a real good clear view of the gospel in your marriage and how you're serving your spouse like Christ served the church and gave himself for it, we're missing the point of the gospel. How your marriage looks should be a great example of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church. Does that make sense?
1: Even the whole first unpopular section yeah that is that is also part of the gospel you the know you, gospel. you don't uh feel a need for christ unless you see your own depravity and right. that's what this is is that it's our own depravity it's our own yeah we're not good people that's part of what you have to accept in order to accept that you need a savior um so it's all really is the every, gospel everybody It's different see aspects that? of the gospel
0: does everybody see that point number one of the gospel is we're all what we're all sinners so you can't just accept the concept of it you have to take that to the nth degree that you're not good and so this is, this is the hard part of, of accepting that uh, but you know I say this often acceptance is that key that unlocks the door of faith right? if you're going to grow in your relationship with God many grow to a certain point but they never get past those barriers because it's not who they are behind closed doors it's not who they are in their marriage relationship. They are good in the community events. They are good with other people, but you know the carpenter's house is always the one that's broken down. You know what i mean? And so, we've got to fix this in our houses, in our homes. If we if our church has strong marriage relationships, if our church has husbands and wives that are serving each other, guess what? Our church is going to serve our community well. We're only as strong as our homes. So there's a few questions that we have. Um, we'll just walk through them. Do the homework later. Um, but we want to make sure you understand these questions. Um, number one, do you have a truce-style marriage? And and look, we, we really, our heart in this is that we improve your marriage. If you're not offended, and if you don't feel like there's things for you to work on at the end of the night, then we're doing this thing wrong. You know what I mean? Like, this is not every other marriage series to make you feel like you've got a good marriage. Like we really are looking at our own marriage and we're digging in, we're doing this work before we do it here. And, and so like our goal is to, how many want better, you don't have to raise your hand, but better marriage relationships. Then we have to ask and do hard things and hard questions. And, and we've got to put this thing to the test. Um, so don't get offended, just walk in it. Do you have a true style marriage? And if you do, let's work to change it. It's a compromise or a quiet. In other words, you either change or you don't say anything to keep your point of view protected and preserved. We'll, just, we'll have a truce on that. We'll just not, we'll not talk about that, right? That's a form of self-centeredness. That's a form of selfishness when you agree to what? That's not oneness and that's not unity, a true style marriage. Well, that's how we're happy for 40 years. They're happy, but the kiss is also forced in the vow renewal ceremony. Just because you've been married 40 years doesn't mean it's good. There's a difference between we're in love and we have to force love so that everybody sees that we're in love because it's the best financial decision that we've made. (laughs) Let's just be real. It's not real if it's a true style. And I, and I understand that there's pick and choose your battles. Like, there's a certain context. There's a certain vein that we're after with this question. And that's self-centeredness and selfishness.
1: I think that uh, a good thing to kind of point to with that is, you know, pornography is like a huge problem in marriages and in our society, not just marriages, but children. And it's, it's just a really big thing right now. It's so accessible. But I think that a lot of, this is just an example. So it would be, a truce would be, well, I know that he looks at those things. I'm not going to say anything to him. But I also know I kind of do these things. And if he brings that up to me, then I'm going to say, well, I know that you do that. So how can you come to me about me doing this? And then the truce, maybe you wouldn't actually say, let's just have a truce. And you're allowed to do that. And I'm allowed to do this. The truce would be, well, we just kind of don't we don't really talk about it. I know you do that, you know I do this, and we just, that's, you know, it's just something we don't really bring up. It's what happens in Vegas, you know. It's not okay, yeah. you know, and that's an example of that true style, it's, that yeah. it's like, well, I know you kinda have this private sin and I have this private sin and we're just gonna, we're just gonna not talk about it. And we're just gonna let you be selfish in that area yeah. and I'm gonna be selfish in my area.
0: It, you know, it's the definition of the opposite of oneness. You have two different, and this could fit with, um, and, and I know we're, we're kind of close, we're, we're over, but this could fit with also um, two different missions, two different goals. This is what they do with their job and in their life and what they want, and this is what I do. And then we come together and, you know, we are dividing of the spoils and this is where you know the the separate bank account things come in and all that stuff like i I mean it's it's prevalent where you have two different tracks two different schools of thought of where one's going and where the other one's going and we just you know ships passing in the night or we meet up at the end of the day and enjoy what we have together from our separate journeys like that's not okay either right and this is where you have to challenge your roles in your marriage with what is the purpose, week number one? Because if, if the troll of selfishness and self-centeredness shows up and you two aren't on the same page and you got this true style thing going on, you're, you're never going to figure it out. You're never going to come together. And, and this is a really good, he, he puts it this way, um, the author of this book says, if only one decides to work on their selfishness, it will become easier for your spouse to admit his or her faults because you are not always talking about them. (laughs) And and read that later. Muse on that. It makes a lot of sense. If both of you decide to work on your selfishness, then you have a prospect of a great marriage. The point is, is if one of you decides tonight and goes home, I'm going to change this in our marriage, then it's going to be better. It's going to, one of you can do this. This doesn't have to be, well, if my spouse would get on board with this, you're still pointing out their selfishness and their self-centeredness. You just decide that you're going to serve them. And when you decide to do that, your marriage is going to improve and you're going to turn the tide. But if you both decide that you're going to serve each other and you're not going to be worried about your own uh, wants and desires, so to speak, watch out. Your marriage has the potential To really be good. So the question is, do you have a true style marriage? Number two, question number two, what wounds, and this goes back to the, you you need to think about this. This is going to take some time. What wounds have you carried into your marriage and how have they shaped your self-centeredness? Look, we have to be honest and open with our spouse that we feel like we deserve something because we went without or because we were taken advantage of at some point before our marriage. We all carry garbage and stuff into our, how many know that we carry stuff into our marriage relationships? And at this point, we're just like, you know, we've gotten past a lot of that, but we look back at the first seven years of our marriage and it was, I mean, it was hell <laughs> in, in, a, in a way that like, it didn't look like that, but it was turmoil. It's just a lot of turmoil in our marriage and going like, why do I feel this way? Why do you feel this way? Why do we act this way? Why, why do you act that way? No. But it's like a lot of that back and forth. But what we finally had to figure out is, man, you carried a bunch of your stuff into this relationship, and I carried a bunch of my stuff into this relationship, and as long as I'm holding on to that stuff, I'm what? Self-centered. Because of all the stuff that happened to who? Me. Once again, when I confront that with the gospel, the Lord has what? Redeemed me from all of that. The Lord has set all of those things in order because of his justification for me. So you really have to confront your marriage with the gospel, but it's important to look and ask that question. What wounds have you carried? The Christian principle that needs to be at work is spirit-generated selflessness. And we don't have time to expound, but spirit-generated selflessness, not thinking, this is so good, listen to this, not thinking less of yourself or more of yourself But thinking of yourself less. I'm gonna, everybody, real quick, put your thinking caps on and then I'm gonna dismiss you. The Christian principle that needs to be at work is spirit-generated selflessness. That's not thinking less of yourself or more of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Don't miss that. Those who stop concentrating on how unhappy they are find how their happiness is is growing those who stop concentrating on how unhappy they are find how their happiness is growing we got to do some work on this we all deal with selfishness and self-centeredness we all do but it starts with you and it starts with me how are we going to change how are we going to decide today that we're no longer going to let the enemy leverage that in our lives and as soon as you start serving your spouse guess what He's gonna be like, "Oh my goodness, what? We gotta abort mission. Like, we gotta figure this out. We we have to get that back, that element, where they were just worried about themselves. I promise you, it's what Jesus does for you, and it's what He does for us every day. You can decide tonight not to let the troll have his way, but to do it the way Jesus does for you and for me, and let that part of the gospel transform your relationship. Anything else you wanted to add?"